And so tonight I want to talk with you for just a little bit about the destiny of this great nation, the United States of America, and how God had her in his heart. He had a plan, he had a will, and he does have a purpose for her. I'd like for you to turn with me to Acts chapter 17, and we're going to look in the Amplified at verses 24 through 28. Starting with verse 24, it says this, The God who created the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by humans' hands, as though he needed anything. Because it is he who gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their lands and territories. Every nation, God has determined their appointed times the boundaries of their lands and their territories. I want to talk to you about a couple of different people. And of course, time prohibits us to really go into much detail. But some of the books I want you to know that I'm using tonight are, first of all, Revival Fire. We do have this in our bookstore. It's an awesome book. How many of you have this book? Oh, you'll love it. You need to get it. This one here, well, this one here is called The Light and the Glory. Yes, amen. (laughs) And this particular one is a youth, a young reader's edition. And I had purchased it for one of my grandsons, Joshua, who loves history, loves God. And I purchased it for him and I started looking through it and it started, you know, just igniting in me once again, that heart of patriotism. Amen. You know what that is? It's a feeling or experience of love of country. And you know, I have a love of country. I am patriotic. I know you are too, but sometimes God comes along and begins to stir you up about some things. And that's what happened as I began to look through this. In addition to that, not not in, it wasn't a coincidence, but I just purchased this book by Billy Bram on first of all. And it talks about first of all, praying first of all, and the great awakenings, which all of these do. They all have different references as well. If you want to get into more detail, there's a lot of good uh, research that you can do. And um, again, we do carry this. We have 10 copies in our bookstore. I highly, highly recommend that you get Get these books. So anyway, I wanted to start off tonight talking about the American dream as seen through the eyes of God. And so, you know, we can through history see a lot of um, experience through the journals of those who lived it. So, for example, looking at at the very beginning, Christopher Columbus. Do you know that he had such a God 
given desire in him that God placed in him. Amen? He was a man who was a very talented man when it came to the things of the sea. He loved the sea. He loved the things of the sea. He actually had um, at one point left Spain and went to Portugal, Lisbon, Portugal, to live with his brother who actually made maps. So they, they worked out navigations of the sea and the ocean. So you see, he had skill sets and he had a natural God-given desire for these things. But then on top of that, God placed in him a desire to discover the new world. And so he knew in his heart there was something there. And he was going to find it. And so, you know, you hear that he went out and he wanted to find new, new trade routes to the Indies and different things like that. And so he needed to be financed. And so he went to, first of all, the king of Portugal. And he turned him down. And then he went to the king of England. And they turned him down. And then he went to the king and queen of Spain. And again, he was turned down. But there was something in him that did not allow him to quit. And it was the call of God calling out to him. And the call of God will call out to you. He says this in his journal. He writes about the idea of sailing west into the Atlantic Ocean. It was the Lord who put into my mind the fact that it would be possible to sail from here to the Indies. There was no question that the inspiration was from the Holy Spirit. He would sail around the Atlantic and discover another trade route, but he, but he could also do something more. He could take the message of the gospel as a missionary explorer and spread the good news about Jesus. And that was stirring in him. That was the place in which he started. It was a place of purity. And it was a place of reverencing God. So again, he tried to finance the trip, but really wasn't able to. And so he began to, at one point, and again, I'm leaving out a lot of detail, get the books, but we just don't have time to cover it. But basically, he went to King Ferdinand and Queen Elizabeth and appealed to them to finance this trip. Well, when they had turned him down, he began to question himself. And he went to a monastery that he spent a lot of time at. And at this monastery, what he did was he talked to these three, well, there was two priests and one very wise old monk. And he told them what was in his heart. And what was in his heart was what God had put there about launching out and heading west because there was something there and he knew it. Well, they asked him, are you sure that you know that this is God speaking to you? And Columbus said, yes, I am sure. And so they said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. Do you know that prayer changes destinies? You know, perhaps maybe it's your destiny 
your child's destiny, somebody you know that you love. Maybe it's even a neighbor whose destiny needs to be changed. Prayer will change destinies. And so they got together and they prayed. And they prayed for God to make a way and to change their hearts. And through some supernatural things, I want to go ahead and read to you. Let's see, it's out of this book. Just a couple of things. We're going to just take our time tonight and just settle down on some things. So... Gosh, there's so much here, and I can't go into all of this. I'm sorry. I'm just trying to find the place. I want to jump in. Amen? Well, basically what happened is they went back and petitioned in his behalf. They became a mediator. And a man was sent to mediate in behalf of Columbus so that the king and queen could be persuaded to finance this trip. Well, again, he had to wait. He had waited four years for an answer. And that's why he had gotten pretty weary and waiting. But when he heard back, he heard back the answer of prayer. Yes and amen. And many things happened, I'll tell you, that um, could have stopped that destiny from going forth. Columbus himself could have stopped it because he really did not he had um a heart that was pure but he had some other things working in him and when the king and queen uh, approved the voyage and the trip he came back and wanted more he said okay here's what i want now i want whatever we find there whatever goal i want a tenth of it i want to be the governor of the new land and i also want to be made an admiral So he kind of put that out there. And they were just like, well, you can just forget it. But God's mercy was working because it was the destiny of the United States of America. It was the destiny that God had placed in his heart. And so by the mercy of God, they changed their heart. And he set sail on August 3rd, 1492. And we know he had three small ships, right? Do you know what the names were? I'm sure you do. The Nina... Yeah, the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. And of course, you know, those ships were very small. I mean, the size of the deck of those ships was about 50 to 60 feet. You know, most of the trailers, semi-trailers you see on the road are 52 feet. And here they are through the spirit of faith and a vision that God had given. They get on board And they launch out into the deep. Several months later, on October 9th, 1942, the ship stopped sailing. I mean, they went through a lot of different things. But on October 9th, they stopped sailing. And you know, when you're in the middle of the ocean and you have no sail, that's not a good day. The men had been at at sea for about, I think, 10 weeks. And they were tired, probably hungry, fatigued. 
weary? What is ahead of us? Is there even anything ahead of us? And they wanted to turn around and go back. And so um, Columbus's brother, who was actually one of the captains of the other ship, he and the other captain came on board the Santa Maria and they started speaking to Columbus about aborting the voyage and turned around going back. And he said, finally they convinced him and he said, okay, I'll tell you what. We'll turn around and go back, but give me three days. And so he went down into his little uh, spot that he had there on the ship. And he began to do something. What do you think he did? He began to pray because there was a destiny at stake. So it's not enough just to pray out the destiny. As you're walking it out, you got to pray. Amen. And so he began to petition God and he began to pray about, okay, what next, Lord? We need your help. Well, the next morning, a very strong wind came along. Isn't that just like God to work through prayer? And that wind was so strong, it actually scared the sailors. But it carried them so quickly that at 2 o'clock in the morning, just on the eve of the third dawn, the third day, they spotted land. Glory to God. Don't you know that that was the wind of the Holy Spirit moving them along right to where he wanted them to be? Glory to God. Do you know that God will move you right along right where you need to be? You may feel like you're behind. You may feel like, oh, what is out there? Is there anything for me? But as you petition heaven, as you pray, God will see to it that he blows the winds of the spirit on you and your situation, on your family and your loved ones. And you'll start sailing to that destination and you'll make it. Amen. Amen? Columbus made it. He made it as he came out of that cabin he praised god the sailors praised god it was a glorious sight to see uh, when the dawn broke land amen hallelujah let's see i want to turn to page 18 here it's telling me here's what happened as they landed They discovered an unknown land 3,000 miles from home. It was a day no one would forget. At noon, the landing party rowed ashore. Every officer had dressed in his own best uniform. Columbus carried the Spanish flag. As men waded towards the shore, they addressed Columbus by his new title, Admiral of the Ocean Sea. Their eyes filled with tears. When they reached the beach, the sailors knelt in the sand and bowed their heads. The admiral prayed. He named the island San Salvador, which means holy savior. 
He and his men erected a huge cross cross on the beach in honor of the Savior. And he thanked God for using them to proclaim his holy name in this part of the earth. Glory to God. I really encourage you to read about all the things that they endured so that God's destiny for America. And he's not finished with us yet. Amen. He has so much more that he is doing and wants to do. You know, Columbus started off with a pure heart. He started off wanting the things that God wanted. One thing about when God works in your heart, you begin to love what he loves. And you begin to hate what he hates. And you begin to call those things that he calls good, good. And the things that he calls evil, evil. Amen? Amen. And so God had worked in Columbus's heart. But you know, along the way, again, remember we saw a little bit of that pride even before he left. When he got there, he began to... um, See that there was gold. You know, the, the Indians would wear wore some of the gold around their neck. And they began to inquire about it. And so he got gold fever. And that gold fever caused him to displace his position in Christ. It cost him a lot. You can read about it. It cost um, the, the Indians a lot, too. Because he didn't treat them right. The men didn't treat them right. And so he departed from what God had placed in his heart. But God was so merciful, I tell you. He used him to open the door for the gospel, to enter the new world. Amen. He used him. He wasn't a perfect man. He wasn't a man that was born again. But God used him. And he used him mightily. And God's plan was moving forward. And it was time to send others to the Americas. And so that brings us up to the next person I want to talk about tonight. The next group of people. Um, I want to talk about the pilgrims. You know, they were the Puritans. And the Puritans were people who had separated themselves from the Church of England, really. Well, they were part of the Church of England. Some of them were separatists. Some of them were part of the Church of England. The Church of England had separated itself from the Catholic Church. And, of course, we know originally the disciples followed the New Testament. It was very simple. But they got away from that, and things got complicated, and people started disagreeing. And so what began to happen is um, around 300, Constantine, Constantine decided that he was going to change Rome and that Rome would become uh, a place where there was Christianity as their religion. And so he called all the bishops together, and as the bishops came, they began to disagree. You know, if you get more than one person in the room, you're going to disagree about some things. But it wasn't where their, it affected their unity, you see. And so what happened is he got like, okay, let's, let's take this one question. Baptism. Are you saved through baptism? Baptism in birth, baptism in death. Mm-hmm. And of course, the Puritans didn't believe that. They believed what the word of God said. 
But he decided he was going to lock up the Bible. And he did just that. And so no one was allowed to read the Bible or interpret the Bible. Only priest. You had to go to the priest to get the interpretation or to hear from God. And so... Um, again, the Puritans and the separatists, they, the Church of England pulled away from the Catholic Church and then they pull away from the Church of England. And what happened as a result is it began to get persecuted. So they ended up moving to Holland. And in Holland, it was very difficult for them because they did not have training. So they didn't have the best jobs. So they had to work several jobs. So in working several jobs, their youth were left to themselves. And you know, uh, the influence there wasn't good. And so that bothered them greatly. I mean, they were already persecuted. They were persecuted because they didn't baptize their babies. And so many of them even had their children taken away from them. But they decided they were going to go to a land where they could have religious freedom to worship God. And so they ventured out to the new world. And again, those little ships they got in. You know, um, the first landing was amazing. When they arrived. And then there was, that was in 1607. 1607. And then again um, in 1620 is when the Mayflower, which you all probably are familiar with, um, set, set sail with the Puritans who were known as the pilgrims. And the churches in the towns, I mean, it was a treacherous trip here. But the churches, when they got here, the first thing that they did is they built churches. And then they built the towns around the churches. And it was truly a work of God. But do you know that every generation has to find God for themselves? And within a short period of time, a couple of generations passed and things began to change. First of all, they moved outward, away from the churches. There was a lot of commerce going on and trade, so there was more business in the cities. And so as they moved out, they began to, again, move away from God. But you see, God has a plan for America. Amen. Now, I want to turn to another page here. And I want to read to you a little bit about that. Let's see. Page 28. Don't you love seeing how God just has a way? That he's a way maker? He's a miracle worker. He's a promise keeper. He's a light in the darkness. And when things got dark, he stirred things up. He began to move on people. He began to move with great awakenings. And we've had great awakenings all throughout history. These books talk about them. Where you can see what happened as God moved on nations. Now, there's a difference between revival and awakenings. When there's a revival, 
revival moves amongst believers. So when you're praying for a revival, you're praying for God to move on you, to change you, to change the body of Christ, primarily, primarily. But then there's what's called the awakenings. And the awakenings are more where it doesn't just affect Christians, it affects non-Christians. Whoever is present. And that's how we saw the moving of the Holy Spirit all throughout these awakenings. God would come. And one of the, the things that really made people aware that there was something going on was God's presence. It would be like a blanket. And it would sit, on, sit upon towns. Colonies. It was very supernatural. And he would move in and through different ministers and preachers. I just want to talk to you about a couple of those. Um, let me read to you what Academia says about the Great Awakenings. What happened in response to prayer affected the whole of the colony America and birthed what even Academia calls the Great Awakening. While I was doing what the Lord told me to do, which was to study, now this is Billy Brim speaking, during our uh, interpreted prayer meeting in 2008, I found a contemporary Harvard professor who wrote that one cannot understand the colonial society that brought about the American Revolution without studying the Great Awakening. At the time of my study, Longmellow, uh, historical society website carried an article entitled the great awakening and its effect on the society and religion of the Connecticut river Valley. The great awakening, the great awakening was a religious movement during the 1730s and 1740s in which itinerant ministers presented powerful messages of salvation which provided early Americans with greater sense of nationality. One of those most noble points of origin was in the Connecticut River Valley under the leadership of Jonathan Edwards. You know, that's Pastor Brenda's dad's name, John, Jonathan Edwards. The Great Awakening brought about a change of values that affected politics and daily life. These attitudes were the beginning of a sense of independence and equality that would set the stage for the American Revolution. And as the spirit of independence was proclaimed in the colonies by the Declaration of Independence, it was often the local clergy who rose to read to their congregations the words that the documents which would spark independence in America. I'll tell you, God moved on these people. Some of the things that would happen is Jonathan Edwards was a man who his father was a Puritan pastor. And he and his wife saw the condition that was happening that could prevent the plan and will and purpose and destiny for America to come to flourishing. So what do you think they did? They prayed. Jonathan and Sarah began to pray. And I'm telling you what, God mightily moved through their prayers, 
granted them prayer, granted them utterance, and then the great awakening began to happen. It says here, in the latter part of December 1734, the Spirit of God began began extraordinarily to set in and wonderfully to work amongst us. And there were very suddenly, one after another, five, six persons who would all appearances savingly be converted. And some of them was in a remarkable manner. Particularly, I was surprised with the relation of a young woman who had been one of these greatest, one of the greatest company keepers. So you know what she was doing, right? She was a prostitute in the town. <laughs> and she came to me and I had never heard that she had become in any wise serious. But by the conversation I had with her, it appeared to me that what she gave an account of was a glorious work of God, infinite power, sovereign grace, that God had given her a new heart, truly broken and sanctified. God made it. And I suppose the greatest occasion of awakening to others. So this one young lady, everyone in the town knew her. She was the company keeper. And when they saw the conversion of her heart, it stimulated and sparked this great awakening that began to occur. And people's hearts were turned towards God. And it swept through the towns, swept through the colonies. Jonathan Edwards was an interesting fellow. He was um, very nearsighted. And when he would stand to preach, he would preach with the book in front of his face because he couldn't see, um, see his writings. And so he would read to the congregation in a very monotone voice. So it wasn't something that would catch your attention. But God, when God's moving amongst people, there's a spirit of conviction just... That just comes down upon the people. And moves them towards God. What brought it? Prayer. Hallelujah. What's going to bring it again? Prayer. So many glorious things happened throughout his ministry. Again, you need to read about it. The next person I want to talk about is George Whitfield. Who knows George Whitfield? Oh, what a man of God. George Whitfield, he lived in England and he attended Oxford University. He went to school with John Wesley and his brother. And so they joined, he wanted to join their club called the Holy Club because they wanted to be holy. And he wanted to be holy And this club had very rigid rules. They had Methodists. You know, they were even called later on the Methodists. And they had methods to being holy. And so he tried to walk it out with his head, I'll tell you. He tried to figure things out. He he would fast, give up all food that tasted good. He would do things like he would walk down the street and he would put his head down, not look up, thinking that would make him holy. 
He would go and feed the sick or feed the hungry and care for the sick and do all sorts of things. He even one day, you know, uh, John Wesley came to visit him and John saw that he was not doing well because he hadn't been eaten. He was probably pretty, pretty weak to say the least. And he started telling him jokes because John Wesley was a little more lighthearted. And he started laughing and he laughed so hard. And then when John left, he decided he would give up laughter because maybe that would make him holy. <laughs> he was so hungry to be holy. Do we hunger like that? Lord, make us hungry. Make us thirsty. Well, George Whitfield, he got a hold of this book. And in reading the book, <coughs> he found out that, you, that salvation is a gift. I'm really paraphrasing here really short. We just don't have time. But he found out that it was a free gift by grace through faith. And oh my goodness, when he was enlightened to that revelation, he laid on his bed and he began to cry out. That verse came to him. Um, you know, whoever thirsts, come to me. And out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. And he laid on the bed and he cried out, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty, Lord. And for the first time, he put away his self-righteousness. He put away his works. He put away his own dependency on himself. And he looked to God and he said, I'm thirsty. Give me drink. And he was born again. And so he made the trip to the Americas. He made actually 13 trips, 732 days in the ocean that he traveled. That doesn't count what he went on ground and what he did there. 70,000 miles is what he traveled in the ocean. 13 trips. That was hardship to do those things. But he burned with the desire for the call of God for three things. First of all, he preached unity. He was the one that preached one nation under God. So God had a call on him to unite the colonies. The colonies were like all separate. And you know, the devil really wants to do that. Because if he can divide, he can conquer. And he wants to do that in the United States today. He wants to divide so that he can conquer. You know, Pastor was preaching last Sunday. I think, what, no, it was Pastor Brenda, and she was talking about love. And I started thinking that right in the middle of the love chapter, chapter 13 and chapter 14, is a verse that says this. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. What are the childish things? Not walking in love. Not believing the best. Giving up. Not being kind. Not being patient. Not being long-suffering. 
See, walking in love makes you a man. It makes you a, a man in Christ, a woman. And, and the scripture tells us to put away childish things. We shouldn't have hot against any. Amen? Amen. And if we do, we need to deal with it. Hallelujah. God wants us to be united because he says that where there's unity, there's power. When they came into one accord, the power of God fell. And you're always going to find little things that maybe you don't agree with. So what? So lots of things you wouldn't agree with me on or I wouldn't agree with you on, but so what? Walk in love. Walk in the Spirit. And so George Woodfield came to gather the colonies and unite them. That was his part. The other things that he did is he preached salvation through faith. Amen? By grace, through faith. The other thing that he preached was that all men are created equal. And I'll tell you, he did more in evangelizing I mean, he was the most well-known person, the most well-known American in all of the colonies because the power of God that would follow his preaching. He had this magnificent voice. One of his closest friends was Benjamin Franklin. And Benjamin Franklin, he was kind of skeptical at first, but he came to love him. They were friends for 31 years. He became a partner with him. He would publish all of his sermons. One time he went to a meeting and George Whitfield had an orphanage down in Georgia. And Benjamin Franklin wanted him to move it up there in Pennsylvania. And he said no. He needed to keep it in Georgia. And he got upset with him and he decided, well, you know, he's going to take an offering. I'm not putting nothing in that plate. <laughs> but he went to the meeting and he thought he'd just go and he just wouldn't put anything in. But when he got there and he heard the words, the utterance of the spirit that came forth from George Whitfield. It was amazing because he said he had coins in his pocket, gold coins, silver coins, he thought, okay, I'll put a, I'll put a, a copper coin in. <laughs> then he heard him speak a little more, and he got embarrassed that he would just put a copper um, coin in. So he put in the copper and the silver, and then before he knows it, he emptied his pockets. George Whitfield, when he went to preach at the churches... Um, you know, at first they had him come, but then there were such big crowds that began to come that people couldn't get their seat. And they were upset. So they started saying, no, you can't come here and preach anymore. So he thought, what am I going to do? Well, God gave him an inspired idea. He decided he was just going to go out and be just like Jesus and preach in the air. And he went out and the first people that he went to preach at was the miners. And the miners couldn't figure out who this guy was in this long black robe, you know. 
But as he began to preach his words, some of them would, would start to make fun of him, but his words would pierce their hearts. And that glory, that Shekinah glory would come down and settle upon them. And he said, before you knew it, you saw streaks. I mean, they, their faces had coal all over it, but streaks all over their faces from tears running down, turning their hearts to God, turning to God. And wherever he would go, he wouldn't just have three or four people. He would have 10,000, 20,000, 30,000, 35,000 people. Can you imagine the distances they came? They didn't have a car to travel in. But they were compelled to come. And when they heard he was coming, they, I mean, they, everything dropped. Plows dropped. Everything that they were doing stopped to get to the man of God. Amen. He preached like one time a hundred sermons. And these are like three hour sermons in six weeks. He ran up and down to all the colonies preaching the good news. There was such a move of God. It was miraculous. Miracle worker. Promise keeper. Light in the darkness. Where there was darkness, God sent a move of God. He did it then, and he's going to do it again all over the earth. He said so. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. You know, the great awakening, the revival, um, revivals that we're talking about, the spirit of, of the people were so inspired with faith and courage that truly is what prepared them for the Revolutionary War. They didn't cower back down. They didn't hold back. Preachers alike. They set out to fight for our independence. The American dream. You know, um, in the Declaration of Independence, we know that it has these words. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. That's God given. That among these are what? Life, say it with me, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. We were talking at the beginning about the American dream through God's eyes. I believe God sees it just that way. Life being Zoe life. The life of God that Jesus came to give us. The abundant life he wants for you. Liberty. That's freedom to worship him. Freedom from sin. Freedom from bondage. You've been set free. You are the redeemed of the Lord. Amen. Amen? And then the next thing. The pursuit of happiness. Now I believe that that is a God-given desire. The thing is, some people have taken the word happiness and put their own interpretation on it. Don't you agree? What is it that's going to make you happy? Remember Christopher Columbus? His heart was turned toward gold and authority and fame. 
But you know, each one of us has to examine our own lives for ourselves and work out our own salvation. What is it that would come against me to hinder my destiny? For him, it was gold. What is it for you? And where is your happiness found? The scripture says that um, where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. So look to see where your treasure is. And it will tell you a lot about your heart. Amen? So, God has a plan for America. God has a dream. God has a call upon this nation. God shed his grace on us. He crowned us with good. He crowned us with brotherhood. We got to hold fast to that. Amen. He created us equal. He graced us. I, for one, am thankful. And I, for one, want to see the call of God fulfilled upon this nation. I want to do my part. And first of all, turn with me to 1 Timothy. And as we close, we're going to read this passage of Scripture. You know, I've kept you a long time. But again, I encourage you to get these books and study them for yourselves and let it do something on the inside of you to provoke prayer, to change what God wants to change in this nation. Amen? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Okay, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. And it says, therefore I exhort, first of all, what is it? First of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. God wants us to pray for leadership in our nation. From the White House all the way down to who's the superintendent of your school, who's the teacher in your child's classroom. Amen? Who's our civil authorities? Who is ruling? The scripture says when the righteous rule, the people rejoice. Who are the righteous? We are. We're the righteous. So when we're doing our part and we're praying and we're watching God move situations that in your head, I mean, back then they lived in a time. I didn't have time to go into or even read to you about it. But I mean, it was just like the times that we're living in today. And I'm sure their heads went tilt. How is this going to happen? How how are we going to go back to our roots? How will that happen? How shall these things be? Isn't that what Mary said? By the Holy Ghost. By prayer of the saints. Father, we just thank you and praise you tonight. We just give you glory and honor, Lord. 
for the United States of America and the call of God that you have upon her to be a light shining on a hill to all nations to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for love, Rimosote. Your love to be stirred within the heart of the people. That we would, oh Father, allow you to do a work in our lives. To create destinies within our heart. To place the destiny of the United States of America in our prayers. To pray out that will. To pray out our purpose that we not fall short. We need heaven's help. We need you moving with revival in the hearts of your people. We need you moving with great awakenings that affect not only the believer, but those, oh, those all around, Lord. We thank you that men's hearts are praying, that we are looking up. As darkness does begin to get darker, you shine brighter. Thank you. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of what you do and how you move in the earth today. Everybody just lift up your right hand and say, Lord, here am I. Send me. Mm. Glory to God. You're a way maker. You're a miracle worker. You're a promise keeper. And you are the light in a dark world, Lord. May you shine through us. May your love shine through us.